good, huh? So good. And we will be sharing the Lord's Supper together in a few moments. And so if you're not familiar with that, you might want to read through this salmon-colored piece of paper in your bulletin. But, uh, well, welcome to 2020. Yeah. How many of you ever thought you would be alive to see 2020? I mean, maybe I should say, how many of you never thought you'd be alive to see 2020? Yeah. I can remember when I thought 65 is way beyond the grave. And uh, so anyway, but here we are. Here we are. And uh, get to take advantage and see what the Lord has for us this year. You can see on the cover of your bulletin uh, what our emphasis is going to be this year. And um, it is the year of the Bible. Uh, That's been adopted by many ministries around the world as well as many churches and ministries here in the U.S. And uh, it's, of course, playing off the idea that eyesight as God made it is that what is at 20 feet, you see at 20 feet. And thus, in our communities, in our medical definition, 2020 eyesight is the way God designed it to be. And, uh, and it's based upon the fact that the re- way we can have 2020 eyesight about who God is and who we are and what this life is about, what life on the other side of the grave is about, is through the Scriptures. And God has so blessed us to give us this revelation of who He is. And so uh, we're going to look at more of that next week and in the coming weeks, and then we'll go back to Hebrews, and then we'll come back to this. And so we're going to kind of come in and out of this. It's not a new theme for us at Calvary. When the church was started in 1964, that was the foundation, and it's been the foundation ever since. So to make this our theme this year is actually no adjustment whatsoever. Uh, It just gives us a chance to uniquely focus upon that. This morning, um, as we begin this new year together, I I want us to think a little bit about how dedications are woven into worship how dedications are woven into our regular worship or special times of worship. And um, it's, just a, it's, a regularly, it's just a regular part. And so part of what we often build into our own lives and as a part of our worship are these dedications. And so, you know, as you're moving along uh, the trajectory of following the Lord Jesus Christ, and growing in your devotion to Him, you might at some point have, have built in an, a morning devotional and dedication to the Lord. I mean, there's some people who say and dedicate themselves to the Lord before they ever get out of bed. I am not aware enough to do anything at that point. So I have to wait until I turn the alarm off and get the cup of coffee. And that's typically where... There's an aspect of worship, personal worship, and an aspect of dedication for that day. Uh, One of the reasons we come together weekly in the midst of worship, there is all these dedications that take place. Uh, As we sing together, there's dedication that takes place. As we look at the Word together, as we uh, share the Lord's Supper, as we listen to a children's sermon, in all of those things, in the midst of worshiping God and remembering who God is, there's just this ongoing 
uh, or should be an ongoing aspect of dedication to Him every time we see and remember something about who He is. And then there can be special opportunities of dedication as well. Uh, this is one of those as we turn a new year. So oftentimes, uh, beginning a new year is a chance for a unique dedication. Uh, yesterday, Dennis and Donna joined their lives together as a husband and wife. A wedding is a time of worshiping the Lord, and in light of what He's doing, them dedicating themselves to the Lord and to each other. Uh, Parent-child dedications are often that way. So there's, there's all of these regular, and then there's these special opportunities in our worship of who God is to, to just rededicate ourselves. And it just needs to be part of the warp and woof of who we are and how we live our lives. So I want to look at uh, a particular example of a special dedication, and then we'll look at how God wove regular dedications as a part of the worship into the nation of Israel, and then into our lives even through the Lord's Supper. So a, an example, one of many examples of special dedications is in Joshua chapter 24. So turn back into the Old Testament there, to Joshua 24. The people of Israel have come into the promised land under Joshua's leadership. And if you go back to the chapter 23, the first couple of verses will give us the context here. Joshua 23, verse 1 says, Now it came about after many days when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their enemies on every side, and Joshua was old, advanced in years, that Joshua called for all Israel, for their elders and their heads and their judges and their officers, and said to them, I am old, advanced in years, and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations because of you. Maybe even be better translated, for you, for your sakes. For the Lord your God is he who has been fighting for you. And then he goes on and gives many very specific examples of what the Lord has done on their behalf and what he has done to even the other nations on their behalf. As we come into chapter 24, he even takes it a step back from their coming into the promised land into more of the history of how they were formed. And in verse 2 of chapter 24, it says, Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, from ancient times your fathers lived beyond the river, namely Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nahor, and they served other gods. And so he's saying, in your history, your forefathers worshipped other gods. They were idol worshipers. Verse 3, then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and multiplied his descendants and gave him Isaac. And to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. And he runs down through and through the deliverance from Egypt that Ryan talked about. And he goes down through all of that. And in verse 14, he says, Now therefore, because of this reality, because of who the Lord is, because of what He has done on your behalf, fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity 
uh, might uh, also translate that in, in a simplicity, in a childlikeness and truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are now living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, one of the beauties about this dedication is Joshua makes it very clear that whoever you're going to serve, it is a choice that you're making. Sometimes we feel like a non-choice or, or, or not making a decision is not making a choice, but it's just as much of a choice. It's funny how our sinful natures try to, I don't know, massage our hearts to make us feel better about ourselves. Like it's a choice to get out of bed when the alarm goes off, but it's not a choice to turn off the alarm and go back to sleep. That's a lie. It's just as much a choice. Just as much a choice. And, and so, and, and it's not, it may be an easier choice just because of your flesh, but, but it's always a choice. And Joshua just says here, you're going to serve a God or you're going to serve gods. And so just make it real clear for your own sake, which God or gods are you going to serve? You can serve the Lord Yahweh. I just told you about all that he's done on your behalf and that you should fear him and serve him in sincerity and truth. But if you're, you know, if that's not acceptable to you, just make it real clear. Are you going to serve the God of your forefathers? Are you going to serve the God of the land in which you're now living? But just understand you're making a choice to serve a God or gods. And so the reality is we all make dedications. And, and acting like I'm not making a dedication is just a figment of our imagination. To not choose to serve the Lord God is by default a choice to serve something else. Some other God, ourselves, whatever it might be. And so that's part of what the beauty of this is. And of course, many of us have hung the last part of this verse in our house. But as for me and my house, we will what? We will serve the Lord. It's kind of a no-brainer when you see what God does to people who don't serve him and what he does for the people who do serve him. But this was a special dedication. Joshua's getting old. He knows he's about to die. And, and he is just saying one more time before he passes away, choose whom you will serve. Figure out who you're dedicating your life to and who you're going to live in devotion to. Now, part of what God weaves into the regular worship pattern of his people are these opportunities to remember who he is in worship and as a part of worshiping these dedications. So on Mount Sinai, God gave them several different um, uh, offerings and sacrifices that they were to participate in 
or that they could participate in. And here's kind of a summary of those uh, sacrifices and offerings. And so for a purification by God, a purification of their sin, so that they could be in a right relationship with God, there was the sin and the trespass offering, and this was required. If you're going to say, I'm a follower of God, this was required because sin separates. Now, the sin offering, interestingly enough, was for sins of ignorance. In other words, it's really for sins of, of how by nature we're sinners. By nature we are sinners. It's a recognition that that is just who we are. And then uh, the other trespass offering was uh, when there was actual acts that you were aware of, of sins against God or sins against your neighbor. Or, or, uh, they actually always go together, don't they? I shouldn't even try to separate them. Sins against God and sins against our neighbors. Now, for these sacrifices, there was an animal offered, often with something else, but an animal, and uh, the uh, one offering it would put their hands on the animal as a point of identifying them with the animal and as a picture that their sin as the guilty one was being placed upon this innocent animal and then the animal was killed and offered up and taken outside the city gates to be burned. The second offering is a participation with God and it was the peace offering and it was voluntary. Interestingly enough, this is a sacrifice in which the worshiper uh, participates by having a meal of part of the, what is offered. And so part of what is offered, they, and they can invite others, to eat together. And here's this picture that eating together is, is a way to picture being at peace with one another. You don't eat with people that are your enemies. You eat with people whom you are at peace with. And so part of this offering was to be eaten as a reminder that we as the people of God are at peace with God. And so that's part of the dynamic of this peace offering. And then there's the dedication to God, which is a burnt or meal offering this again was voluntary, but in this offering it was all offered on the altar because it's a picture of nothing held back. Everything consumed in being offered to God. And so when, when we're dedicating ourselves to God, we don't hold anything back. We offer all of who we are to God. Now, in, the, in, the, in participating in these different uh, uh, sacrifices and offerings, there is this double dynamic of worshiping God, recognizing who He is, and in response to that, um, there is these dedications that continue to go on, especially with the peace offering and the burnt and meal offering. Now, when we come into the New Testament, we see that uh, all of those were fulfilled in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, for example, here in Hebrews 10, uh, why don't we read this together? And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, 
He sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. Stop right there for just a moment. That's, that's the whole capturing of it there. And here we are in this time, waiting uh, from the time until the enemy should made a footstool for his feet. Last week we, we read together and participated together in some of the songs of Revelation. And uh, that's that time where everything on earth, all of his enemies will be made a footstool for his feet. And I don't know about you, but one of the most beautiful phrases in what we read together last week was, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of God. Mm. Every enemy subdued. Any influence of enemies absolutely, completely, forever done away with. Something we pray for regularly, right? Oh, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so that's where we're at. And how did that happen? Let's read that last two lines there. For by a single offering... Ooh, that's a beautiful phrase, wouldn't you say? Man, and uh, here we are in this process of being sanctified. Here we are in this process of growing our hearts in greater devotion to following the Lord Jesus Christ. And, uh, and He has perfected us for all time, even as we're in that process of being sanctified. The next few verses go on and say, let's read it, and the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, this is the covenant that Yeah, what do we say to that? Man, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. What an amazing blessing. And so the Spirit of God says uh, He will make a covenant where He'll write His laws upon our hearts and write them upon our minds, uh, what is called the new covenant. And uh, He remembers our sins. And so there's no longer any offering for sin because Christ fully offered the sufficient offering for our sin. And so we come from this into this regular reminder, an act of worship and a time of dedication that takes the place of all those other offerings and sacrifices and feasts throughout the Old Testament that we call the Lord's Supper. So grab or turn in your Bibles over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Ryan read the heart of this, but I want to take a look at the verses around it because we'll see here uh, how there's a very clear call to choose this day whom you're going to serve. There's a very clear encouragement, maybe too easy of a way to put it, uh, but there's a very clear warning here that when we come to the Lord's table, let's make sure that we are 
devoting ourselves to following the Lord Jesus Christ, that we're choosing this day that we will serve the Lord, as will our households, as will our church, as will I in our, my secular workplace, that I will serve the Lord in all of those places. So Ryan read through verses 23 through 26. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The same way he took the cup also after supper, saying, the cup, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. There's a day coming when we will not have to remember him through this bread and through this cup because we will be in his presence. Now, if you look at the first part of verse 23, he says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. When the Apostle Paul went to the city of Corinth and when he began to share the good news of what the Lord Jesus Christ had done on behalf of people, and he called people to begin to, uh, to turn from their pagan belief systems and, and to repent and to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and to begin to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. As they did that, and as they began to build the family of God in Corinth, one of the things that he clearly began to lead them in the practice of was the participation in the Lord's Supper. Because that's what he says, I all, I've already delivered this to you. This has been a regular practice for you when I was present with you and since I have left. Now, this comes out in the context, though, of having to remind them of what the point of the Lord's Supper is because they had forgotten it. It had either become just so institutionalized and ritualistic that they had forgotten the point of it, and they had even probably taken it and used it as an occasion for sinful, selfish things. And we pick that up from the verses before it and after it. So go up to verse 17. <coughs> But in giving this instruction, I do not praise you because you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you, and in part I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, so that those who are proved may become evident among you. Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper." Now, if they printed bulletins in that day or made announcements, they would have said, we're having the Lord's Supper. And what the Apostle Paul is saying, it doesn't make any difference what title you put on this meeting. You can say this is the Lord's Supper, but it is not the Lord's Supper. Why? Because in your eating, each one takes his own supper first, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? In this I will not praise you. And so there, 
participation of the Lord's Supper would take place in the midst of a full meal, what they would call the agape feast, the love feast. And he says, it's just a, it's just a time for those who have a lot to come and to just make gluttons of themselves and to get drunk. And for those who have little, they're not going to share with them. And the whole reminder, one of the great reminders of the Lord's Supper is we are one body. We have one common Savior. And, and that's manifested through the unity of the body. So where there is division, it is not coming together for the Lord's Supper, even if that's what you want to call it. Because it's in total contradiction to what the Lord's Supper stands for. And so he says, I will not praise you. And here's the reason why. He reminds them of what the Lord's Supper is, how he had received it, how he had delivered it to them. And then verse 27, he picks up with some very practical instruction. He says, therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. And so when we come to the Lord's Supper, it's a time to remember what Christ has done on our behalf. His incarnation, why he even had a body. His life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and his soon return. And to judge our own lives and ask ourselves, am I living in the light of the realities of who Christ is? Can I join Joshua in saying, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And it's like the peace offering in that we eat it together. We share it together as a reminder that we all have peace with God. We all have an equal peace with God because of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. We've all committed different levels of sin. We've all walked in different degrees of rebellion against Him. But there's a common sacrifice that puts us on level ground and we come equally at peace with God because of what Christ has done. And so it's a time for us to judge ourselves and to ask ourselves, am I living consistently with what this reminds us of? And Paul says in the case of the Corinthians, uh, some of you have not been doing this. So verse 30, for this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep, that's the description of a believer who has died physically. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. If we judged ourselves rightly, we wouldn't have to be judged by God. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. When a person is a true follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he judges, he judges for the purpose of bringing discipline, not condemnation. And that's a huge distinction. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. But whomever the Father loves, he disciplines. And so he says, when we don't judge ourselves rightly, 
God loves us so much that He will judge us so that we will not be condemned along with the world, so we just won't go down the path of the world. And so then a final encouragement to those Corinthians, so then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. That's pretty simple, isn't it? If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that you will not come together for judgment. The remaining matters I will, will arrange when I come. So here's kind of a, a typical pattern in this worship dedication pattern. There is the chance to remember as a response of remembering who God is uh, that causes rejoicing and repentance and then restructuring. Here's what I mean by that. Remember, remember who God is as we come to the Lord's Supper. We, we remember who He is, what He has done and is doing, and what He has provided and promised. Uh, this is just the constant thing. So in the morning or whenever you spend time in the Word, why do we t spend time in the Word? Because it reminds us of, of who God is. It reminds us of what He has done and what He is doing. It reminds us of what He's provided and what He's promised. It's just that daily reminder. And we need, we need that much more than we need to know what's going on in Washington, D.C. or any place else. We need to have that constant reminders. And, and thus, when we come to the Lord's Supper, it is to remember. And then, as a response of remembering, there's rejoicing that takes place. If you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you cannot help, when you recognize who God is, rejoice. Rejoice in who He is. Rejoice in His love for you. Rejoice in the covenant. And even to make it more personal, ask the question, where have I been living in grace and truth? Where has who God is intersected my life? And how has God transformed me? How am I different today than I was in January of 2019? It's really important to think through some of this. Why? To give credit where credit's due. If there's been transformation taking place in any of our lives, it wasn't through some self-effort. It's just a gracious work of God of transforming us more and more into His glorious likeness. And so there's this rejoicing that takes place. But also, whenever we are reminded of who God is, ooh, light reveals those little dark areas in our life, or maybe they're big dark areas in our life, don't they? And so right along with rejoicing is repentance. What sins have a hold on me? What sinful behaviors have I experienced from others which have a hold on me? What circumstances am I allowing to be bigger than God? I think everything in life fits into those three categories. The stuff that comes out of my own heart, sinful uh, behaviors, thoughts that have a hold on me, my response to people sinning against me. God calls each and every one of His followers to fully forgive them. And then the issues of circumstances. What circumstances am I allowing to be bigger than God? And this is where we own our own lack of trust and obedience. Trust and obey. 
And so, where these are present, we need to repent of those things. And not just repent, but that last part is so important, restructure. Restructure. If I am continually reminding myself of what somebody did to me that was very hurtful, guess what I will continue to need to do? Repent and forgive. Repent and forgive. Repent and forgive. I have to restructure what goes into my head and what my thoughts are. How am I going to do that? So there has to be some very pragmatic restructuring of what goes on in our lives and how we do this. And the whole point of restructuring is so that this happens. Remembering who God is gets bigger. The rejoicing for who He is and what He's done in our life becomes more a part of our life. Repentance becomes a smaller part of our life. Right? Isn't this just Christian maturity? Remembering Him gets bigger. Rejoicing gets louder. And repentance, it will always be there till we take our final breath. But hopefully it gets a little bit more fine-tuned and it's not quite the same bigger areas. And so as we enter 2020, this is just a chance to do this. And it's a chance to do it around the Lord's Supper. Is to just remember who the Lord is. Uh, to rejoice, let Him put His light upon areas where uh, sinful tendencies from our own heart, uh, a lack of response of the Spirit and truth in response to people who have sinned against us, or circumstances in life that have become bigger than who God is. And we know all this stuff by just the bitterness that comes up, how much time we spend thinking on things, worry. All of those things are just indicators uh, of where we need to make some restructuring in, and make some differences into our life. Now, there's four basic areas that, that all of this filters into. There's the individual area, and uh, this is the one we are most responsible for, isn't it? I'm always reminded when I stand before the Lord someday, I'm not going to be able to point at Camilla and say, yeah, but she... Unless it's good things, which it is. Uh, there's no blaming anybody when we stand before the Lord. And that's why we individually partake of the Lord's Supper. And so, individually, we are fully responsible for the choices we make. And then, if we're in a household, and depending upon our role in the household we have responsibilities there too. Joshua was the head of his household. He said, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Um, and so there's the whole household aspect of, of serving the Lord. And then there's the church, the body aspect of participating and uh, serving and giving and whatever that might look like. And then there's the aspect of of uh, so how does this all work out with those people who do not yet know Christ in the place I work or the place I go to school or the neighborhood I live in or the sports teams that I'm participating in or whatever it might be? And all of these are just a cohesive whole. They flow out of our individual response, but they're all very, very cohesive. And, and they will all fuel each other or they will all pull away from each other. And so, if, um, if 
for me, uh, my individual worship of the Lord has got to flow into my household worship, and then my household worship fuels my individual worship, and then that flows into my time of worship and devotion and um, dedications with you, and then that fuels into my individual worship and my household worship, and that affects the way that I reach out and love the people who are not a part of the body of Christ. So they're, they're just all go together. And for those of you that have walked with the Lord Jesus for a long time, your life is filled with new dedications and new restructurings of your life. I know it is. Uh, and it, it might be helpful to think about some of those things. I mean, I can, I can remember the day where, you know, I would start to sneak into church and find the, come in after it started and leave before it finished. That's where I was at. And then you slowly restructured, and I says, I need to be one of those that sits right down front. I need all the help I can get. And that's why I'm still sitting down front. I need all the help I can get. And then we just built the default in that uh, we will not miss being together with God's people every week. Now, there's exceptions when we're out camping. We'll do something as a family. But um, when something happens really good or really hard, we're going to be with God's people the next Sunday. And that's important. And I cannot tell you how much God has used your corporate worship and being with you to keep my heart screwed on straight. I remember when our grandson Knox died at two months old, the Lord called him home. And because of this commitment, Ed was scheduled to preach already. I mean, in the providence of the Lord, that was taken care of. But we had made a commitment that we would always be in church. And so we, you know, that's when you figure out whether these restructuring things make any difference or not. And so we came with Zeke and Bethany and their girls and sat up there. Just didn't want to be the focal point of what happened. And uh, as you, we all sang together, I still remember singing the phrase and having to bring my heart into submission to the truth, the song that you all know, Lord, you give and you take away. Blessed be your name. I needed that. As painful as it was and as the tears flowed, I needed that. If I'd stayed home, I wouldn't have gotten it. And so we all do these restructuring things and then just cumulatively add up so that God gets bigger and we remember him more and we rejoice in him more. And we still got to deal with the repentance part. But there's just that constant restructuring. And as we enter 2020, I just want to give us all a chance as we come to the Lord's table just to think through the restructuring sense as we remember the Lord, as we rejoice in what he has done, as we are honest about those areas that are not being lived in his grace and truth, whether they're from our own heart or in a response to people or response to circumstances, and give us a chance to think through the restructuring. Now, oftentimes, if you're married, 
Uh, if you have kids at home, you're going to need to talk through this with your spouse or your family. Otherwise, it just is a cool thing that happened during a church service. Because the restructuring does not happen easy, right? It's probably the hardest thing to make happen. If you want to make the New City Catechism a part of your family worship, that's going to take a lot of effort to make it happen. And so I'm not suggesting that a, a, a sense of what you should do here, you just make it here and it's done with. No, then the hard work happens of when you hear the alarm, you get your tail out of bed, right? That's, that's the hard part of this. So men, if you'll get ready to serve us the Lord's Supper, and as they serve the Lord's Supper, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, and as best you know in your heart, uh, you want to remember him and say, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And, uh, and as you hold these elements in your hand, if you will just spend some time rejoicing in who he is and what he's done in your life, how he's changed you, let him shine the light on any areas and then think through, begin to think through the restructuring of your personal life, your family life, if you're a part of the family, part of a household, your church life, and your relationship with other people. And so men, if you'll go ahead and serve us, and uh, as you hold these elements, just go ahead and remember, rejoice, repent, and think through restructuring, and I'll come up and we'll partake together.